You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Broken records, the albums you wouldn't shut up about. Broken records, the music our guests can't live without. Like Judy, Barbara, Liza, Bet, Betty, Audra, Bernadette. We broadcast this podcast with hopes that someday we might get Patty Welcome to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. I'm Ben Rimmelauer, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Daniel Nolan. Hey, y'all. Today's guest is Tony-nominated playwright, playwright, and actor Charles Bush. Charles Bush rose to fame in the 1980s as the author and star of a number of long-running off-Broadway camp sensations, including the legendary Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. His acclaimed Broadway play, The Tale of the Allergist's Wife, ran for over two years, originally starring Linda Lavin, Michelle Lee, and Tony Roberts. Charles also starred on screen in the movie versions of his plays Die, Mommy, Die, and Psycho Beach Party, both screenplays by him. Mm. Most recently, Charles starred off-Broadway in the world premiere of his new play, The Confession of Lily Dare. The critics raved, I raved, Bette Midler was there the night I saw it, she loved it too. Uh, Speaking of... Not bet. Charles is coming in to chat with us about Yentl. Oh, tell me where, where is it written what it is I'm meant to be, that I can tell ya. Yes. <laughs> Two syllables, baby. Um, cut to me uh, driving around in my parents' uh, suburban summer of 2012, the summer before I moved here, driving back and forth to Oklahoma City for this design internship blasting that song on repeat the whole way. Tales all this time. And then renting Yentl. <laughs> what does she say in the concert? She's like, to, uh, to, to, for, to know the rest of the story, you'll have to go rent the videotape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whenever she's doing her little, like, Barbara plot summary yes. bullshit banter. Anyway, um, but I, then I rented Yentl and, you know, took the full journey, which How do we wasn't quite sure I wanted Yentl. to take. Okay, here's my take on Yentl, is that uh, as a director, I feel like it's good. I mean, it's well, it's beautifully photographed. It's, uh, you know, I think as a director, she did a really great job. And she sounds amazing, you know, as we've, as we said with Charles, she's never sounded better vocally, but, well, except like in the 60s and 70s, (laughs) but, um, and the rest of the 80s, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, I don't love Yentl, Mm -hmm. I have to be honest Mm -hmm. and speak Mm -hmm. my truth, because every number it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, besides like, uh, Papa, Can You Hear Me and, uh, the end song, Piece of Sky. Piece of Sky, where she kind of, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah, but it's kind of like, it's weird because like nobody else seems to notice she's singing on this boat. Even well, that's though. the whole movie. Right. But all the others, all the other I songs. I mean, it's very like, appropriate for like quarantine times because totally. she's starring in a musical all by herself. All by herself. But like, that's the thing. It's like all the songs are Like, her. imagine how hard it was to keep it from Mandy Patinkin on set that it was right. a musical. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Why couldn't it be, Papa, can you hear us? She's like, mm, mm. So you go, tell me where, and I go, tell me where. <laughs> well, you know, every song is like, it's Papa, 
It's like this. Watch me! But every song is like this weird recitative, and it's like her and her mind. It's like it's like it's not really that exciting. I mean, are you not a Michelle Legrand fan? Fan? (laughs) Not fan. No, no, it's not. It's the music is wonderful, but it's just the way it's uh, the way it serves the plot. I guess like the plot device of it being her like internal fantasy or whatever. Which I mean, it kind of works for things like Chicago because it's. You know, it becomes this huge production number with showgirls and, and well, those are fantasies and... of action. Exactly, this exactly. is just her like therapy session. It's like literally just her thinking about it. So it's not that exciting. One, two, I could allow, but it's like the whole movie is that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so there's no real like tension because it's just her thinking these things. So it's not really like there's nothing really at stake in the numbers for me. So right. So you would actually like the movie better without the songs? Yes, 100%. Or maybe just like... Not at all. The first... The first and second. <laughs> without the songs the first or and the last dialogue. song. And also, you know... As Papa Can You Hear Me is the first song. Papa Can You Hear Me and then... Uh, but what about my favorite song? Um, uh, what's it called? There are moments, you know... What's, what's the song Moments in the Woods. Um, uh, you know, the one that's like... I can walk through rooms where there are rooms within rooms that have always been a part of me. There are certain things that once you have, no man can take away. Yes, this is one of those moments. No way. I just like that part of my voice. No tide can turn away. That sounds good. (laughs) Thank you. I love that song, too. And I love a lot of these songs. I just think... You know, listening to them is great, but then when you see That song is not... Well, but you know what song is very active is Tomorrow Night. Yes, that's true. That's true. Although, Although it is a little weird too that she's belting and nobody notices. She's belting. She's like trying on that like tallis or whatever. And is that the one that's like, like intercut with a lot of the dialogue? It's like no, or is that the one like uh, the one where like a pot roast? Whether to roast or to not roast, <laughs> something that rhymes with pot roast. And then uh, where there's randomly comedy. No wonder in. is that. And then No Wonder Part Potatoes. No Wonder Part Two. Potatoes. Oh right, that's the problem. There's fucking No Wonder Part seventy five. Yeah, No Wonder Part Two though is like the most Streisand lyrics ever because she talks about um, blah 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 blah. Who cares when the food's so delicious? Not to mention these beautiful dishes. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Barbara now. Somehow like a note to self in her like like uh, journal right, about the show right, and right. the show in the actual yeah, film. film. But um. You know, and, and her performance is fine, but I don't believe for a second that she would pass as a man, you know? I thought you were going to say as a human being. Well, that too, but as, as a... As a, <laughs> I mean, as a student. Yeah, it's weird that they didn't do better on that. Yeah, I'm like, she really does not pass as a man. And, I mean, no, like, no five o'clock shadow, no... I mean, her face is just so feminine, you know? she It's... Um, and her voice is so feminine. I don't know. I just. I mean, I is that why people it. dog the movie? Well, one of the reasons they dog the movie, yeah. like, is there a sense that like she's too vain to like make herself look like her? Although really you know, like famously, man? she's she uh, all the entrails, uh parts she filmed uh, from her bad side, because which she, begs the question: Barbara has a good side. <laughs> You know, so like that was actually that was probably very difficult for her to to do. But um, I don't know. I just think you know it's like watching an like a Mozart opera, where where like 
where the music sucks. <laughs> where the music sucks. No. But like, you know, in all those operas, it's like, it's like men disguising themselves from their fiancés right. to see if they'll cheat on sure. them. But, but it's, it's like, like an opera. Yeah, but it's like in an opera, you're like, okay, obviously. Right, these... but like a film from the 80s. Yeah, you would or think like, that, like, they could have, like, just, like, done a really good job. Yeah, it's like, no one is going to believe that. I mean, in an I Love Lucy episode, it works because she's wearing, like, a mustache and, like, Ricky is yeah. not supposed to recognize her. So, wait, so her. What, what was this her choice, or was it that she was too egotistical and wouldn't listen to anybody? Well. Like, is that one of Spielberg's notes from when she showed him the dailies and she was, like, as a man? He doesn't want to let me be a director. I feel like on Yentl, there she probably wasn't getting a lot of like pushback. Like people weren't giving her their ideas. You know, she was running the show as opposed to when she was directing Funny Girl and she had to listen to other people's <laughs> yeah, opinions. She had to listen to um, William Wyler. Is that his name? The actual director. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean. I, I feel like Yentl, the reason she has such good fond memories of it is because, like... She was alone. No one was giving <laughs> yeah, her any right. feedback, you know? It was like, she was she was running that ship. But it had to be that way on Prince of Tides, too. Although you imagine no, that well, but Nick you, Nolte must have mouthed off to her more than Mandy 100%. Batman. And we've heard the stories of that, like, her trying to hold, you know, work late into the night, and people were like, Although no, you know that over. The Nora Ephron movie, um, what's the one with Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep? Heartburn? Yeah, was originally uh, Mandy Patinkin, and he got fired. Wow, Jackson was the replacement. I mean, I have heard you know Mandy's no walk in the park, but yeah. So I'm surprised that uh, he. And I'm Barbara I'm surprised too. That that is shocking. Maybe he was chastened. Or do we pronounce it chastened? <laughs> chastened. Um, but you know, there's uh, there's Could that, that be a new meme like, oh girl, you just got chastened. You should try that. You should make that. That's going to be my new persona. Someone that's your new ooh, girl. You just ooh girl. <laughs> yeah, we need that. I really think we need that from you. Um, but oh yeah, oh yeah. But I feel like on Yentl, you know, she always tells that story about like that I mean, letter I, that they wrote in the press that they released to the press, wherever the fuck they filmed that. Um, about how, you know, the crew wrote this article about how, or this letter about how the rumors you hear about Barbara aren't true. Like, it was a joy to work with her. It was collaborative. It was wonder, you know, and that she's like, that was, you know, that's one of my, you know, most prized possessions oh, or whatever. Oh, sure it is. Right up there with that velvet <laughs> pillow that she <laughs> keeps on the couch in the other grandma's house. I can't with grandma's house. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I sound like I'm dogging. I actually really, like, love Yentl. I mean, I don't yeah, think so it's like a me great film, but like I can sit through it. Um, I uh, I love the album. I mean, I guess I like it best as a Barbra Streisand album. Yes, yes, that's a like, good point. That that's my my I, I love that song. That I that this is one of those moments. I really yeah, like to totally. me. That's one of my like workout jams. Yeah, like yeah. there are certain things that once you have no. Yes, yes. And what's the one that's, I was listening to it this morning and I was exactly what you're saying. I was like, wow, like I never have really, I haven't really taken the journey with Yentl as an album. Yeah. And, and there's some really, really beautiful songs. I like, mean, I love her singing that Michelle Legrand stuff. No matter I mean, what happens me, is another wonderful one. The worst thing about the Yentl album is the dialogue. Oh, it's, like, it's, it's, I mean, it's. Now you want to make it like a legitimate musical comedy? Like when I finally have the yeah. CD alone and I mean, like nobody here to bug me, I can is, just flip in. It is insufferable. I mean, it's, it's. Yeah. Hearing, That's like polite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. It's, it's some painful. bullshit. It's painful yeah. hearing those. 
that it's, it, the it's only so thing bad. worse than that are the dialogue intros on partners. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Honey, you have to work late again? All right. <laughs> um, I don't iron his clothes. I don't iron well, I actually don't iron. I actually don't iron. I haven't ironed since I grew up my nails back in 1968. <laughs> um... And my nails are real, by the way. <laughs> anyway, I never. What song was I singing? Anyway, what, where was I? Oh yes, it's so wonderful to be here at the gay games. Remember that article? Uh, she, no, it wasn't an article. It was a weird. Oh god, I wish I wish I could look it up right now on Insta. But she released this like weird video montage of her nails over the years. Oh my! And god. And it was like. This cannot be Just true. setting the record straight, my nails are real and always have been. And it was like this, uh, literally like this, like Ken Burns, like minute long documentary of her nails over the years. And I was like, kind of grossed me out. I was like, yeah, like those are real, but that's they're so fucking long. Like I almost wish they were fake because like having a nail that long kind of grosses me out. Especially in the age of in the age of coronavirus, yes, like baby, especially. she feels clean. I also have to say, like the nails are the part of Barbara Streisand that I care for the least. Yeah, I don't like. I think of her as like she's so iconic, and I love her so much. But like, I would not have any less love for her if she just had human normal nails. On the <laughs> yeah, side. totally, like, totally. Like I don't. But, like, I love that she. Like I would like to know what percentage of her fabulousness she thinks comes from her nails versus, like, what it is. Well, I mean, if we really want to get into it, there's so much of, I mean, this is... I hope Dublin Zotrope is loving every minute of this because this we're really going in deep. And, and, you know, I will say, as much as I, I worship Barb and I love her, like, there's so much of her that I find completely, whether it's... What's that line from The Office where Michael's talking to Toby and he's like... There's so much about you that I hate. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's like it's, um, it's like I just hate so much of what you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I'm thinking of the of the Stanley bit where he's like, Michael, your style, your methods, everything you do, I would do differently. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> um, Stanley is the truly the one I identify with the most. But anyway, it's not about the office. This is about, uh, this is about Barbara. But, you know, she, I feel like as she got money and got famous, it's like, the thing with, with someone who has so, who has such, uh, who is so obsessive and so controlling is like, when you're, when you don't have money, you can't really, you know, go all out and like, and entertain those notions. But once Barbara got money, you know, she started buying the Tiffany lamps, she started, you know, her original white dog that you know that birthed an entire lineage of white dogs. The great grand self of the dog <laughs> yeah. she still has Sadie. I think was the first one, uh, but it's like the nails came out. Um, uh, you know, it's just this idea of wasn't being the like whole thing that she always had the class. nails even when she was struggling, so that she would never become a secretary. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and so it's. And then, you know, we know the hot water bottle story and now she has a, she's obsessed and hoards all these dolls. And it's just this idea of like her rejecting her, you know, poor, scrappy upbringing completely to the extent where now it's like, 
you know, the nails have become such a part of her identity, not, you know, it, it's almost more of like a, it's symbolic. It's like, it's, yeah. it's her becoming like the rich white woman that yes. she always totally. wanted to be. You totally. Know? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what is, um, that's the biggest turnoff with Barbara. Right, right. Um, and, uh, you know... I mean, that's true of a lot of our divas, you know? I mean, right, and that, some of the stuff I've said about Beth, the sides of Beth that I have liked less, mm-hmm. were the version of her that was, you know, not warm to Kathy Griffin, or like yes. the way she was in I'll Eat You Last, you know? Yeah, yeah. As opposed to, like, this the scrappier, you know? Beth and, you know, or if you even talk about Madonna, you know, I like yeah. Madonna... The like East Village like yeah, trollop in Desperately Seeking Susan, yeah. more than like the British lady, you know, right. from like the two thousands, right? You know? With, yeah, um, yeah, and well, it's, I mean, I always said I felt like in Meet the Fockers, Barbara was like just would have given anything to be Blythe Danner's part instead. <laughs> totally, that's so funny. I mean, and and uh, you know, casting Blythe Danner in uh, Prince of Tides. Uh, as uh, Nick Nolte's wife, is that who she plays, right? Yeah. Well, and I, I, if you listen to Barbara's interview on Alec Baldwin's podcast, which is just a treasure trove, um, you know, he talks about being up for that role, and she was like, and not getting it, and losing it to Nick Nolte, and he's, you know, jokingly bitter about it, and she's like, well, we, we really needed someone who looked a little more all-American yeah. <laughs> for that role, you know? The highest compliment Barbara Totally, totally, but like, the fact, like, Barbara... You know, All-American, like, Nick Nolte, Ryan O'Neill, Robert <laughs> Redford, James Brolin. Totally. You know the type. You know the type. Um, but the fact that Barbara directed Prince of... She directed Yentl, of course, but then she directed Prince of Tides, which is just, like, the complete opposite about, like, this, like, southern, white southern family, you know? It's it's so fascinating to At me. At least she plays, like, Dr. The, Dr. Lowenstein. Lowenstein. I love Prince of Tides. I do, I do too. That's I my wouldn't favorite. have a word set against Prince of Tides. No. But as much as I love Prince of Tides, as much as I love funny girl mm. I hate <laughs> the mirror has two the faces. mirror has two faces is unwatchable I mean I love I liked it when I was younger because I like didn't know anything but like we watched it I think in Fire Island last oh, summer God. and I was like this is actually badly directed that's <laughs> like movie is so bad it's like really it's really phoned in but um Prince of Tides I think is a masterpiece I mean I would say it's after Funny Girl and What's Up Doc, it's maybe my favorite Barbara film. Really? Yeah. Really? I mean, even before The Way We Were, because I mean, The Way We Were has, I mean, she's so wonderful in it, but as a yeah. film, it has so many issues. Yeah, aren't you forgetting, doesn't she have some great movie from the early 70s also? Al and the Pussycat, uh, Up the Sandbox. I... I've never seen Up the Sandbox, but I, that's like one of her favorites. The one that's re- like really bad and it's not even her fault, it's just like a shitty movie from the 70s, I don't know how she wound mm-hmm. up in it. For Pete's sake. Up All Night. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with James Caan? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or is it uh, Gene... Uh, Gene Hackman? Gene Hackman. Yeah, maybe it is Gene... It's the one with... She has that, like, blonde wig. Oh, it's so bad. I've heard that. There, there's there's a big chapter on some... It's, like, what, weird to think about an era recently when Barbara Streisand was doing big movies, but the ones better actresses passed on. Yeah. Uh, Ethan Morden, the the on Streisand book he wrote. Oh, yeah. There's a really good section on Up All Night in that That's book. That's on Streisand, an opinionated guy. An opinionated guy, yeah. yeah. It's great. Um, I recommend it. But 
Uh, At least to keep saying? us busy for the time being until Dublin Zotrope writes his Dublin Zotome on Barbara. Totally, totally. We need that Dublin Zotome. But then, you know, uh, he'll probably start with Glenn Close. <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, but the thing is, I think we actually touch on this a little bit with Michael, our interview with Michael R. Jackson. It's um, this idea that people who are creating really good art, at, you know, in the beginning of their career, um, and they were collaborating with people, and and you know, they were doing it out of out of a, with a hunger, and and not just to you know continue their career. When they when they then have unlimited resources and wealth. And just a, they're surrounded by a bunch of yes men. It really does become detrimental to the work, you know, because it's like there's no uh, the hunger's not there because it's you know they don't yeah. need it to survive and they don't you know they're not trying to prove themselves anymore. But also, they kind of don't have they're not held accountable in a, in a certain way that they would right. be as, like, a youngster starting right. out, you know? Like, I have to deal with, like, you mouthing off to me, and it makes me a, <laughs> it makes me a better artist. But right. somebody, if I could afford to just, like, replace you with somebody that would kiss right, my ass, right. my work would suffer. Right. Well, I'm sure you could find... There's an app for that, I'm sure. <laughs> um, I'm banned. <laughs> what else could we say about Babs, about Barbara? I mean, Well, yeah, about Yentl. About Yentl, yeah. Um, like, uh... It's interesting that she went for the same um, ending as uh, what's it's the same oh no it's it's the same ending as Fiddler on the Roof but it's shot like the Don't Rain on My Parade it's, it's scene so in Don't Rain on My Parade Barbara on Boats is like a whole thing yeah it's something funny that I just thought of yeah. this is like so crazy when I was little I don't know who if someone told me this or if I made it up in my mind but before I'd ever seen. Yentl. Oh, the other Barbara Streisand movie that I really love is Hello Dolly. And see, I don't love that one. But when was the last time I you need to rewatch it? it. I, I I watched it in summer 2012 when I was really starting. Oh yeah, yeah, phase. that's a long time ago. But I remember thinking, like, she, even though I didn't really know Dolly at the time, I remember thinking, like, she's not really right for this. But I need to rewatch it just because I think it's you know again a beautifully shot. Beautifully I mean, it's not a great film film at all, but. It's a very enjoyable. Like it is. Well, now that I'm like one, like really deep in my Dolly years, yeah, like yeah. I need to revisit it. <laughs> totally. But so what I was saying is, you need to come back to the lights of fourteen. One hundred percent. But when I was little, I thought for some reason I thought. Oh, I wonder Yentl, if that Rufus Wainwright lyric is a Hello Dolly reference. Which one? Um, what's the song? Fourteenth Street. Yeah. yeah. I'm Why going have... back to Fourteenth Street. To Fourteenth Street, so I won't hurry. And I'll learn how to beg, not just borrow. And there'll be rainbows. Maybe. I don't know, though. He did sing a Jerry Herman song. That's when true. Him what did, what, what, it was like a weird back. one. It was Dear World. Dear World. Oh, yeah. Title song. Um, anyway, when I was little, I thought Yentl was the sequel to Fiddler on the Roof. It is. Well, no, Rags is the sequel to Fiddler on the Roof. Is it really? No, but I mean, it could be. Yeah. Yentl... I mean, but yeah, I mean, Yentl takes place like during Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, but it's like not the same characters. You know, it's, I well, thought it was literally. It's, I, yeah, like, it's not a sequel. I thought it was literally a sequel. Um, That's but both anti-Semitic and I know it's um, problematic. You've got to be taught 
careful to think, careful to think. Oh, my least favorite Barbara song of all time. Children will listen. Although I do like when Ruthie Henschel does Barbara's <laughs> arrangement. Ruthie Henschel, is that how you pronounce it? Ruthie Anschel. How do you say it? Ruthie Henschel. No, I think it's Ruthie Henschel. Oh, I thought you were making a joke. Like, no, that's not know. a joke. Uh, Ruthie Henschel is not a joke. I love Ruthie Henschel. I think she's wonderful. Her fun team is amazing. Oh, there we go. I know, we won't, we won't open up she this. doesn't have enough other parts. We, we won't open up this can of uh, worms. She's my second favorite Fontaine. Third. Who's your second? Randy Raff. She's a dear friend. Dear friend. Uh, she was my uh, she was my Fontaine growing up. She's the original broadcast. So, yeah. You know, pretty solid. And I like I like her Fontaine because she really she really um She's like, what's a mix? It's very raw. <laughs> yeah, what's a mix? One hundred percent. Um I don't like a mixy Fontaine. Yeah. I would have liked to see Barbara's Fontaine. Um, would you settle for her on my own? Mm, I don't really need that. Did she she never did yeah. that? When? Um, I have it. But it's not like, on an album. Yeah, it's like on that like unreleased or whatever. Release, release me. me. <laughs> yeah, release me from the album's point of view. <laughs> <laughs> um Release me, <laughs> my story by Sammy Streisand. <laughs> um, on that note, on that note, but she did sing "I Dreamed a Dream." No, really? Yes. What do you like, Patty Lapone? When Barbara Streisand recorded "Don't Re- uh, Don't Cry for Me, Argentina" and stole my thunder. That seems like a missed opportunity. Her Barbara not singing "I Dreamed a Dream." I mean, you can see her wanting "On My Own" more. In 1986, you know. Sure. Yeah. And well, and Neil Diamond had "I Dreamed a Dream," so she was like, "Well, she could have gotten it." I mean, she sang every other song that, like, a hit song in that time. Like, it's really crazy she didn't. I mean, she sang like you know, "Memory," "All I Ask of You." Well, uh, "Memory" was a huge hit for her. That was like a big deal before she even did the Broadway album. "All I Ask of You" was like a random track. I'm sure she doesn't remember she recorded from like a random album. Yeah, she hears it on the radio. She's like, "Who's this? They're wonderful." Um, anyway, yeah, on that note, on that note, after just completely shitting all over Yentl, <laughs> let's talk about it to, with Charles Bush. Well, we are, uh, guerrilla quarantine recording here, uh, kamikaze style in the <laughs> fabulous West Village home of yes. the divine Charles Bush. Lovely having you here. Quite the spot. I've been so alone. <laughs> You're all the first people I've spoken to in, in, in several days. Well, we want everything. Tell, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm doing fine. I, but you really, my, my sequestered life is terribly different from my regular life. That's the case. Yes. Because yes. I, I rarely leave. You know, the Bohemian Quarter here. Why would you? I mean, this is... I, anyone that hasn't read the New York Times piece on this fabulous apartment with the great photos, I mean, it's... it's a, uh, is it, I don't... Is it still available? I thought it must was, be. I thought it was, like, taken off their archives since no. 1865. No, maybe you have to... <laughs> maybe you have to be a subscriber, but in this era, we are all... We are, should all support, support the New York Times. Yes. yes the, real, the real news. Um... Well, uh, we're, it, is, it is medicine for the soul to, to talk to you totally. in these trying times. I know. I think this is the only the first time, Ben, that you've actually been here, except at you know when I, at my Christmas your party. legendary Christmas parties where it's like elbow to elbow would be mm. it's going to be hopefully we'll be far past the 
the plague by the time yeah. Christmas comes yeah. around because oh it would not God. be safe. There's no way to keep really? three inches yeah, between, so. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably a joke in there somewhere about six inches. I don't know. Six but, inches, you know. Yeah. We'll leave it be. Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've, I've now gone too, too low brow for Charles Bush. You can throw, yes. turn off the mic. <laughs> well, I, as I told you, I was so blown away uh, by the confession of Lily Dares. Mm. I mean, in a lifetime of being blown away by your work, I think it was still a high. I it was really kinda, I, it. It was really my favorite... Um, Certainly, my favorite role that I've mm. ever played. Mm. Yeah, I, I just uh, lo- loved it. It, it, um, it was kind of, it was kind of a charmed experience. I mean, everybody involved. You know, the cast was great. They're you know they're all friends of mine. So, and uh, but the crew, the management, everything was everybody was nice. There wasn't like mm. one you know sour pickle except maybe me. <laughs> <laughs> As is your right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Other than that, yeah, no, it was just great. And, you know, it was at the Cherry Lane Theater, which is mm-hmm. about a six-minute walk from my apartment, so it doesn't mm-hmm. get better than that. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I had very little to complain about. It made it difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I found something. You know, it always got to look harder. matinees they forced me to do. Ooh, stuck in my craw. <laughs> well, it's, I, maybe because of the epicness of that story, you yeah. kind of got to do a little bit of everything from the bag yeah. of trip. You know, really, yeah. I got to see so many of your fortes, the different playing the innocent to yeah. the you know embittered older diva and her whole you know scrappy yeah because in a sense I, pl- I kind of played five different characters yeah in a way be- and and that was that was part of the whole whole point of it in a way I uh, I just always loved movies where um, the actress. Uh, Ages and yes. goes from girlhood yeah. to to crondom. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I just love those movies so much, and I always wanted to play that kind of part. And you know, and, and over the years, I've oh, I've come up with different scenarios to, mm. to enable me to do that, We've, which we never did. Oh, one was going to be kind of a, how the West was won mm. sort of story, mm-hmm. where I was a young, feisty young Irish servant girl <laughs> who you know, gets in a covered wagon and helps settle this grand country of ours. You know? And I think Julie Halston was going to be a, 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 a beaver trapper from the Adirondacks. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that her actual background? <laughs> that never happened. I, I have some outlines for about a dozen of these, these plays that we never did. But uh, yeah, this one, that, that I think it began with the idea that that I wanted to play a part where I uh, mm. aged a lot. Mm. And I kind of thought at 65, I, I better, if I was going to play a girl of 16, I better hurry up. So uh-huh. that's why I did it. But yeah, it was, it was cool that, that, you know, because each scene, she uh, started off as a sort of Gigi mm. and then mm-hmm. became um, a Dietrich like Cabaret Entertainer and then, mm-hmm. you know, a, a that Kurt Vile parody song was so brilliant. Wasn't that good? Oh, Tom, Tom Judson wrote that. Tom Judson, your brilliant collaborator, yeah, musical talented. director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who yeah. also, I have to give a shout out because I'm a big pat- uh, patron of his work for Tom's Trendy Tees. Oh, of course. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Many talents. <laughs> I, love, I love Tom's Trendy Tees. You can get your Alexis Smith Platinum t-shirt, Knack and Mabel, <laughs> all the Broadway flops you didn't yeah, know you needed. It's so stylish. Yeah. Yes. And now he has the Ann Magnuson collection. Oh, no. Oh, I gotta go. Look, uh, she's an old it. friend of his, and I guess oh, they wow. came up with uh, over a course of a weekend uh, another d- dozen mm. cool T-shirts mm. with her imprint. Oh, well, I know what I'm getting everybody for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, so now 
we talked to you about what your broken record would be, the album yes. that you were obsessed with, oh. and we were tickled. I mean, really, defying so that the <laughs> album that you said immediately of all records of all the records in the world was Yentl. <laughs> Yentl, and it all began. <laughs> yes, please. The day I found each step I take, Papa, I've a voice now. Each page I turn, Papa, I've a choice now. Yeah, well, I love that movie. I, I, I mean, I guess I mean I think it was a hit, and yeah. and it's not like it's it was some maligned thing. And yet, in a way, I think it it is a bit f- forgotten or, or or dismissed, maybe just a, a bit. Mm. And I, I thought it was a wonderful movie and and a, a fantastic score. Man, Michelle Legrand, I mean, it's mm. yeah. so brilliant. And then the Bergmans wrote the yes, the oh yes, lyrics mm-hmm. are so graceful. And yeah, and I used to. Um, I was never really a big record buyer, mm-hmm. but uh, so movies are always your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I really music is. No, I just never really listen to music that much. Yeah, but occasionally I would buy a record. And it's very and, Barbara of you. She doesn't listen to music either. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I did buy a number of her records. Yeah, yeah. not all of them, but, yeah. but, they, but <laughs> I don't think anyone's well, fun. No, because she recorded them. so much. Yeah, yeah. My God, I mean, in the seventies, I mean, oh, yeah. between the sixties and seventies, I mean, there's really not really a standard that she didn't record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in you know, I did a, a cabaret show um, of seventies music, and I didn't intend it to be that way. But but half the songs she. Recorded at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Audrey McDonald said, "You can't swing a dead cat without hitting a song." Barbara Streisand recorded. <laughs> yeah, it really so true. 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 She recorded so much. Yeah, yeah. But but Yentl, uh, I, I just oh, it's uh, the, the, she's an incredible voice. Incredible. Yeah. It's it kind it's of a, really with maybe voice. a vocal peak of hers. Yes. Yeah. What, what, what year totally. is that? Like eighty two or something like that. Uh, eighty four, I think. Same year as uh, Vampire Lesbians of Sodom. Was it was it that late? Do you think maybe it was eighty three? But it, it's around there, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, she was at a real kind of vocal peak, and oh, I guess yeah. it was such a, a passionate project of hers. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think I went to see. Uh, maybe it was like the first the first time she came back to to singing in, uh, in public in ninety three. Yeah, 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 and I, and yeah, I, yeah. I saw that. And I was way up and you know, about yeah. top. Tier of Madison Square Garden. Just where she wants you. I was basically, I was basically just watching the, the video yes, on yes. know, screens. And yeah. read along with the uh, banter. The banter, <laughs> yeah. So now I really couldn't voice this tiny little figure who seemed very uncomfortable at that point. It's so wonderful to be here with the gay games. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I felt that she seemed so, you know, it's always easy to... Um, you know, project on on people, but it it, it seemed like she was very uncomfortable performing, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it wasn't really a stage creature yeah. at yeah. this point anymore. Wish I was and, back on the set. And it was kind of just yeah. hold. She was just had her arms holding right. herself, and mm. and yet I, I found that when she did the Yentl medley, mm. that was the, the only time I felt that the performance I saw that she really was 
somehow emotionally connected. Oh, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. you could, I, I felt that somehow this is something that was so important mm-hmm. to her and it still held such uh, resonance that it all of a sudden really, that was the one time this, when I saw it that she just really came alive mm. and, and it was it was awfully exciting when she was singing with the against the screens of her yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Her, her own image and yeah it was cool but yeah no, I love I, I love all the songs in that um, uh, yeah and um, so yeah it, I have this new cabaret act that that's eventually I play since all the dates are canceled but yeah. if we ever if Tom and I ever do it uh, we're actually doing the song from um, uh, from Yentl, I, I, I never get the title right, but is it no matter what happens. No matter what happens. Yeah. I've wandered the shadows I don't anymore. No matter what happens, I won't anymore. I've run from the sun. Because I, I related to it, um, you know. I, I with my cabaret act, I started off doing it in drag. Yeah, and I just mm-hmm. it was just this. I started doing this, this latest foray into cabaret. It's been about eight years. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had had different times in my career. In the, well, first in the uh, uh, late seventies, and then the early nineties, where I did cabaret work. Uh, and never quite with the intensity of focus as this I remember in um, Lost Horrors of, Horrors, of, Horrors of Lost Atlantis yeah. mm. um, your wonderful novel that's a thinly veiled <laughs> memoir yeah, of your, yeah. your early yeah, years yeah. as a playwright and, and star and, and, mm-hmm. and you know uh, in the East Village drag right. theater mm-hmm. scene of the 80s yeah. um, there was some f- I remember relating very much and uh, there was some the way that the character the lead the narrator of the yeah. story um, talks about himself. Uh, he's like, I and I can sing, and I remember. I don't remember exactly how you yeah, phrase it, but he has like a funny chip on his shoulder about yeah. it. Well, um, I mean, I, I've sung in, in shows of mine, but never that seriously. When I and when it was when I was doing cabaret, my first cabaret career in the late seventies, there was no music at all. It was there were just monologues. Oh, and, and yeah. And yeah. where did you do that? That was the at? duplex at the duplex, mm. the old on Grove, the old yeah, the duplex. original duplex, yeah, mm. Mm. yeah. And then, then my second cabaret career in the early '90s, when I worked with uh, Dick Gallagher. Oh, was a great director. Dick Gallagher, yeah, IP. so so missed and beloved. Um, and I felt at that time that my audience uh, really would be disappointed if I was not in drag, mm. and I. Did mostly special material. I thought, oh, maybe I can do one, maybe two, but really just one ballad. Mm. This is all they, whoever they is. Well, you had a big audience, would, to be fair. Would, would by allow that me, point. would mm. allow me, and I didn't want to be. I don't know. I was self-conscious, but when I've seen other um, comic performers seeming indulgent by yes. doing too much serious sure. singing, and I, and I was insecure about my actual singing. Yeah, you know, but. Um, but then when I started... Where did you do that one in the 90s? At the ballroom I used to play, oh, okay, play a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, and, and, yeah. So then um, when I started this again about eight years ago, I, I 
started off still with that mindset that, oh, what will they expect? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a dumb way of approaching anything, really. But, uh, but I thought, okay, I, I need to be in drag. I had a friend of mine who said if you weren't in drag, it would be like going to Disneyland and finding out that uh, Space Mountain was closed. It <laughs> d- didn't help my uh, confidence. Uh, Ex-friend. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, so... I, but then, um, I don't know, I just started... Um, with Tom, you know, he's, he's such a wonderful musician, and we um, we just started doing more more challenging material vocally, and, and I actually took some singing lessons, which d- does seem to help. Who did you go to for a voice? Uh, a friend of mine that I met on Facebook, um, John Tedeschi. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he, it was very helpful uh, getting those diphthongs. Yes, he did wonders with my diphthongs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, yeah, so we started just doing so much more music and, yeah. and uh, you know and, and it's a, it's been a lovely thing I've learned so much and um, and then finally about three years ago I just made this big decision to to uh, take out the, the drag because mm. I never really understood why I was in drag yeah other than that I was sort of known for mm-hmm. this thing but mm-hmm. well you did have that one cabaret character that well yeah I did Miriam Passman yeah. to do mm-hmm. but, but other than that it was it was I'd be introduced as Charles Bush, and then I would tell st- true stories about my life and sing yeah. Sondheim. So wh- why was I a drag? So, but I did it, you know. And, yeah. And, and and my sort of persona in my act was basically me, but just dialed up. Yeah. And did. yeah. Somehow slightly filtered to my grand dame mm. character, but. It's not that different from who I was. Right. So then finally, I, I just thought, I have to see what this is like. Yeah. And I, I booked myself for one night at Pangea in, uh, in the East Village, mm-hmm. which felt safe to me. Yeah. And, um, I, I thought, you know, I might not like this. I might find that I'm, I'm uh, uh, inhibited or, mm-hmm. or self-conscious. And I, and, I, and I didn't change the act at all. I just didn't do it in, with a red wig on. Mm-hmm. So it went great. Yeah. And, uh, but I was wearing just black pants, a black shirt, and then I thought, do I, am I so lacking in imagination <laughs> in this day and age that I have to be the cater waiter at a, at a memorial service? <laughs> so, you know, so I had this, uh, I had this paisley suit made that was uh, kind of the, 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 the thin territory where Bruno Mars meets Judy at the Palace. Yeah, uh, it's very Judy at the uh, Palace. Yeah, then Valley of the Dolls. He was a famous fashion designer and illustrator in the 70s, Michael Volbrocht. Uh-huh. And he, he passed away uh, about a year ago. And he was just, uh, on Facebook, I just kind of met him on somebody else's thread. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but he had made a big impression on me. Mm-hmm. Oh, he had done all these incredible illustrations of. Elizabeth Taylor and Betty Davis and book covers and he was a fashion designer and he was really big in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm. and then retired so we started uh, chatting on Facebook and, and became rather friendly I never met him he lived in Florida yeah. and, and so when I got out of drag uh, I asked messaged him and, and asked his advice on getting this suit made and, and he said well you just Take this young man who's the designer. He said, "Take him to Gucci and try on the most fabulous, expensive suit that you love and that fits you perfectly, and take many pictures and have him base it on that." And that's what we did. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then, well, then, so he, so this retired guru, became, you know, mm-hmm. helped me. And then, 
uh, I had posted a picture of me wearing this suit. And Michael Volbrock wrote, what's your phone number? And so I gave him my phone number, and he called up, and he was kind of an irascible you know, guy. guy said, you look terrible. I was like, well, what? Because you, you, know, you, you need to fill it. You can't just wear that suit. You need to fill in the whole... Uh, Top, you know, where is it? by the neck with, mm. with fabulous beads, mm. beads, barbaric beads, violent beads, <laughs> beads. And I, you know, I said, well, I, but the point is that I'm, I'm not in drag. Is it doesn't matter. And it's sort of hung up. <laughs> so, you know, so I get off the phone. I'm thinking, oh, that old man, he doesn't know. <laughs> Half hour later, I'm on 38th Street. Ah. Not buying, buying all these beads, 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 violent beads. <laughs> oh, we need to see before and after. And, and so I filled it all in with these beads. It looked incredible. Oh, yeah, and so he, uh, uh, I wrote him, I said, you know, what do you think? He said, perfect. Ah. And then, then he, I think he died about a month later. Well, he finished uh, his work. Yeah, I was kind of his last, last customer and last client. Mm. Yeah, so that, that was kind of special. Oh, no, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, meeting fabulous people in Facebook comments, yes. um, I, I have been obsessing about MAME and anti-MAME lately. I mean, I always loved it. You know, why did you bring that up? It's not, it's not like you'd like, never like heard of MAME before. Or well, you know, I, I, I'd seen the movie Anti-MAME a bunch of times growing up, although probably not that... Well, no, that's not even true. I maybe watched it a year ago because right. I bought it on, mm-hmm. on Apple. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I knew uh, the musical, and I'd seen the movie, but I'd never seen it on stage. Mm-hmm. And um, I recently read the novel for the first time mm-hmm. and just went, like, head mm-hmm. first and, and read the sequel, and now I'm reading all the Patrick Dennis stuff. And, and what about Little... Have you seen the... the I'm little, reading Little, little Me right now, and, you know... Kind of his masterpiece. It's, oh, yeah, I mean, the musical did not... Oh, terrible. I only ever knew Little Me through the musical, yeah, and right, I didn't... Really so I didn't... Wasn't so what happens when straight, when straight people take up, take mm-hmm. gay subject matter and, mm-hmm. and filter through their... Cultural their appropriation. <laughs> was, that's true, cultural yeah. appropriation. Totally. But the per- person that, thanks to you uh, commenting on my Facebook thread mm-hmm. that I met just this morning, was yeah. Michael Tanner, um, oh Patrick Dennis's son. Oh, he's a wonderful oh, I mean, wow. yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's a wonderful. head of Pe- Bellevue. <laughs> He's like the Amazing. main doctor well, really in Bellevue. Good yeah. to know. I bet he's good to see. <laughs> oh, you, should yeah. see, you should see his apartment. It's it's, it's not the it's famous a, one on like where where Patrick Dennis. No, is, no, like, I forget, no, I can't. I can't remember where they live. But what's cool is it's this big Upper West Side yeah. apartment. But he has this artist friend who's a Trempeloy painter. Just mm. paint every every wall is 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 not real. It's mm. all like fake. Bookcases and fake things. You feel like you're in a pop-up book. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the most gorgeous. Oh, amazing! It's like a palace, but nothing is real. Mm, yeah, I it's so that. cool. It's really cool. I love that. And he was. I tell you, um, you know, he, he and his sister Betsy mm-hmm. were very helpful to me. I, I got to know them because my ex-partner Eric Myers wrote, wrote the wonderful wrote book biography about of their, their that father, I read also, yes. Uncle mm-hmm. Maine, but mm-hmm. Patrick left Patrick Dennis. And so we got to, during the two years that Eric researched the book, you know, we, um, you know, got to know everybody in his circle, in Patrick Dennis's circle, including his children. Mm -hmm. And then a number of years later, I wanted to do a tour, a Summerstock tour of Auntie Mame. And the um, Lawrence and Lee estates, the the two authors of the play, the play adaptation. And Inherit the Wind. Their estates (laughs) um, just said no, that, you know, they weren't familiar with mm-hmm. me, and mm-hmm. you know, it's just a man can't. Had you already part. done the one night? I've done, done, yeah, done the benefits, mm-hmm. and I um, and I guess they weren't. They were 
even though they were in Broadway houses, yeah. uh, I guess they were done on the sly or something that because it was a benefit. But mm. somehow, when we were going to do this commercial um, two city tour, yeah, we had to get the you know rights to the yeah, play. Sure, and they and they said absolutely not. So uh, we I went to um, ask Michael and his sister if they would put in a word to these um, to the estates, mm-hmm. and, and they did. And so I was. And it made the difference. Mm, amazing. Yeah, well, because, you know, sometimes, too, it does happen is, is you know, the um, literary estates go down, they become so far removed from the mm. original uh, family. You yeah. Know, and yeah. it's just a lawyer somewhere, and they're, sure. they're just, you know, all they can do is is uh, apply the rules that, that were set originally, and, mm-hmm. yeah. that's, that, you know, it's, that's it. And, you know, and they're, and they're not theater people necessarily, yeah. so they don't know what kind of performer I am or what my history is. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I get it, kind of. Sure, yeah. but it's a shame. I mean, well, it's wonderful that this broke so through because, I mean, that is what keeps the work alive. You know, well, you know, like, you know what's really too bad is the Claire Booth Luce estate with the women, the, mm. the play The Women. I guess mm, yeah. when she was alive, and that was, you know, she died many years ago. Yeah. I guess she absolutely stipulated that no men could play this, do mm, this. Wow. Yeah, but... You know the play isn't done that often. If it's got a cast of you know, forty, yeah, um, and I, it's, it is a pity because I think they they could be making a lot of money oh, if, yeah, if yeah. they opened it up. And I've done it numerous times as one night events, yeah, but, oh, but, we're, but we've always kind of skipped town. By the yeah. time the estate finds <laughs> out about, it, oh, they did it again. <laughs> you know, they, it's terrible. Right but I played it. I played uh, the Norma Shearer part. Uh, oh, I love that number of times in different cities. Uh, uh, with uh, I, I've done it with, with all all guys. Mm. I've done it with partly drag people and and biological women. And then I've done a number of times with where I'm the only person in drag, and it's all mm. all women. The last the last time was was incredible. It was in Palm Springs, and um, we did. It was a, a benefit for a fundraiser for a theater out there in Palm Springs, mm-hmm. Coyote Theater. Is that what it's called? And anyway, it was this crazy cast. You know, I played Mary Haynes, the Norma Shearer part, but we had, it was Lucy Arnaz, uh, Lorna Luft, oh my God. Uh, Florence Henderson, Harry <laughs> Gilpin, Mo Gaffney, um, Gaffney. Uh, Carol Cook, Kay Ballard. Carol, oh, you had me at Carol. Oh, yeah. oh, it was, it was <laughs> the most crazy thing. And it goes, now we go back to, Ma- to MAME again because... My my late manager Jeff Melnick, who who lived at Paul Springs, came up with this um, idea to raise more money for this uh, theater company mm-hmm. to get these fabsy wealthy uh, society ladies out there in Palm Springs, put them in small parts in the cast, mm. and and th- and then they would sell the expensive tickets, mm. and it really worked. You yeah. these women who are you know, billionaires. Yeah. They, they sold the $1,000 tickets, and they did their job. However, they had to be in the play, and we cast them in these small parts as maids. Uh, yeah. As <laughs> maids. These maids. And, oh, and it was just like Auntie Mame, except that I was Vera. Yeah. <laughs> these women would spend you know, two hours of the show crimping and oh. fixing their jewelry and everything. Oh and God. then they'd come out on stage, we'd rehearse them, and suddenly wanted to do something with the role. And uh, you know, come with a, a, they walk in with an accent. Make a choice. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they all late for the. It, was, it really was exactly, <laughs> exactly so uh, uh, Mame. It was so funny. I remember there was this one elegant woman, and she was 
I saw her backstage, and she was in this elaborate black and white maid's uniform and little cap. And, and I said, where did you get that fabulous maid's uniform? From my maid. <laughs> it was crazy. It was just crazy. Oh, there was a, there was a, I was, well, there are two funny stories from, from that production. One, well, one was that they uh, had, Carl Andrews, who directs most of yes. he directed this Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And anyway, they, fa- they found a, a little 10-year-old girl, local little girl, uh, to play the daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, and, there's a, and she has a dramatic, little dramatic monologue where she uh, makes a prayer and says oh, uh, that her parents won't get divorced. Mm-hmm. Well, this little girl, I don't know who she was, but she was like a, a pocket streep. And the tears, wow. tears coming down her face, and Carl and I were just so fascinated. So we made her do it eight times in rehearsal. Yeah. And each time the tear oh came down. God. It really was incredible. And so Lucy Arnaz, you know, was observing this and sauntered over and said to the little girl, "Kid, if you're going to some dark place, it's not worth it." <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the other the other story was oh, and Michelle Lee was in it too. Mm. I mean, everybody's in it. So anyway, I was sharing this dressing room with, with Lorna Left, Michelle Lee, and Lucy Arnaz. Oh, God. Uh, My yeah, fantasy. this dressing room. So I was wearing this rather chic, somewhat form-fitting little <laughs> black cocktail dress uh-huh. for the reading. And uh, we were in, like, the one tech rehearsal we got, something, and so we're all in the dressing room. Michelle is, like, it's, is all fit to be tied. And she says, I just think it's really unfair that... Charles is might, and, and we're not. I said, I'm not might. What are you talking about? She says, you're might. I said, I'm not might. She says, you're body might. I said, I'm not. She says, I can see the, the, the might pack, and she, she <laughs> points to, you know, my crotch. I said, Michelle, that's my dick. <laughs> <laughs> the might pack. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Actresses. That's a good bit. Actresses. Michelle Lee. Actresses. You gotta love an actress. Now, you just did that um, uh, one night benefit of Alger's Wife with Michelle mm-hmm. Lee, with you stepping into to Linda's part and Linda as your mother, right? That was one of the great nights of my life. I'm oh so sad God. I missed that. I oh, heard really? that it, it was spectacular. Something. Well, it was Linda's idea. I guess she had been you know, reading about how you know, the Actors Fund had been doing a number of these reunion shows yeah. like they're, they're playing our song and mm-hmm. and it was 20 years since Alger's wife so she it was her idea and, and she thought that it would be great to have the original cast back except that you know the um, Cheryl Bernhardt yes. played the mother you know, it was very old and, and yeah. died a number of years ago so Linda she thought, was so hilarious oh she was great so Linda so thought she'd like that, that she should play the mother and that I should play Linda's part and it really was not a, a, a role that I ever Wanted to play or thought of playing. It didn't seem wasn't exactly my style, and it's more naturalistic. And you know, just it was never a, a dream of mine at yeah. all. But then I thought, well, you know, she, and I had said to her, I said, Linda, I mean, she, Linda basically looks exactly the same as she did twenty years ago. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, and at the height of her powers, and yeah. So you know, I said, you sure you don't want to just play the part? And she said, no, no, no. And uh, so we did it. And Lynn Meadow, the original director, uh, put it together and. We did it at the um, Manhattan Theater Club's uh, Broadway House, the Friedman. Yes. And, uh, yeah, Michelle and, and Tony Roberts and Neil Kumar played the doorman. They all came back, and it, it was thrilling. And, and to well, act with all of them, but, you know, Linda, I just kind of worship her yes. acting talent. Totally. And, and mm-hmm. the way she, she's so um, 
just so really in the moment. And, mm-hmm. and, and it used to frustrate me sometimes when I would, during the original production, and I would come back and see it, and that, you know, there were line readings of hers that I just loved, and then they would not be there, but then there'd yeah. be something else, <clears throat> some other new thing that was yeah, fascinating. Right. It's just, you know, what, what she's like. And, yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it was interesting, too. I, so when we did it, you know, I, I was kind of using her, the template of her performance, because uh, first of all, that's the way it was written, and it yeah. was written for her. And, um, but there were, there were a couple uh, uh, lines, there were line readings of hers that I just loved so much that I, I duplicated. And if I ever did it again, probably won't, but if I did, the, I would pr- change it, because there's, there's just a couple line readings that were just so her yeah. and mm-hmm. based on this kind of vocal mechanism the she has. Yeah. You know, there she yeah. gets a nasal sort of thing, you know, yeah. and, and I don't have it. And so yeah. There's a couple lines of the, oh, you know, I wish I had done that. It was okay, but it just, that belongs to her. Mm. Yeah, but it was, it was an incredible night. I mean, that play is so seminal for you. I mean, I, I remember being, I was, I had just moved to New York and I was assisting Lonnie Price on a class act at the uh-huh. theater club and we were rehearsing the same time that you guys were rehearsing. Was Nancy Anderson in that? Yes, yeah. with beautiful Nancy Anderson. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when I first met Nancy. Okay. Uh, but I remember seeing you in the, the lobby a lot um, of the Manhattan Theater Club Studios on oh, 43rd okay. Street. You know, and, and I'd only seen you, like, uh, on stage or, I, I don't know, I feel like you did a lot of sort of uh, like the Easter bonnet kind yeah, of stuff, like always in drag, yeah, you know, always. but just be, and Charles Bush, you know, and you would be the always MC or whatever, you know. I was so insecure. That, uh, and then there was this myself. kind of just, you know, I mean, I don't want to say butch, but like, but you know. You can say that. <laughs> it's been a problem. <laughs> but I mean, you you know, you, you didn't look like a drag queen. You looked like, yeah, you yeah. know, just this, this, you looked like a Broadway playwright, you know, mm-hmm. um, Standing next to me at the urinal, you know, and um, that's uh, my pack. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember thinking, what uh, you know, breakthrough this was that you know you'd been yeah. this you know, um, more than a cult figure, but I mean really this you know fringe you know counterculture right. thing, right, right. and here you were with this Broadway, you know, I mean, Linda Lavin and Michelle Lee, you know, and uh, and Robert Klein, you know, just this Broadway... Tony Roberts, Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts, excuse yeah. me, Tony And Robert Klein replaced same him, idea. was that the... Uh, Richard Kind. Richard Kind. Same idea. Same <laughs> idea. <laughs> everybody, everybody Jewish over 50. Yeah. But um, speaking of which, we were talking about it, not to get off that topic, but that... I, has there ever talk of a movie version with Barbara? Yeah, so it's dragged on for, for 20 really? years. Really? I just I guessed that. It just oh, seems wow. so perfect. Yeah, it was gonna, it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to be Bette Midler. Mm. But that too. But, but then, I don't know, then Bette had this idea that that she was more right, actually, for for Michelle's part. I'm sure she did. So Wouldn't she, they all? So <laughs> she, but, 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 but the other part's really the lead, you know? Mm. And so she... Yeah, but that doesn't make her more right for it. Yeah, yeah. so she thought she was actually more right, so she... Personally called Barbara to and got her the, the script. And oh then, my god! And then Barbara said she really liked it, but she didn't want to do it. Oh, that that was thinking they would both do that it. They would be able to do it together. Oh wow! Oh, now I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. Wow. It's, I mean, it's not a dead thing, but I, I don't think with either of them. Yeah. Well, listen, there's, the actresses just keep getting older. If you wait long I mean, enough, I it could be I your little know. pocket street from Palm Springs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised Elle Fanning has something off <laughs> yeah, of the role. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but so, okay, so what, where were we? going back to that sort of transition, you know, where you, from being this downtown, you know. Yeah, it was kind thing. of, it was a strange period for me. I mean, on one hand, yeah. Yeah, it certainly was a surprise to, to me as well as everybody that, that I was going to have this big Broadway comedy. But it, it got in my, it, it sort of annoyed me a little, just a little bit that, you know, but I, you know, I'm ambivalent about what I eat for breakfast. I, I, I'm incapable of just expressing pure joy. There's always yes. something I can, <laughs> I can find, you know, <laughs> to rub me the wrong way it's just, or analyze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it, it bugged me a little bit that this whole kind of narrative about me that that season was that the, this East Village drag queen, you know, queen, had, yeah. had written a mainstream Neil Simon type play, and and it bugged me because number one, over the past fifteen years or previous, you know, all of my plays were done by reputable nonprofit yeah. theaters. That all moved commercially. Yeah. Uh, yes, it was off Broadway, but it was, yeah. uh, you know, and um, what, what uh, and yeah, it seemed to. And to we're diminish. being done all over the country yeah, and the world. Over, yeah, and they, done, they, done yeah, all over, and yeah, and and and, and, and just a, a few years, just a couple of years before that, I'd written a, a, a Jewish comedy uh, called "You Should Be So Lucky," where I played right. a male role that that ran off Broadway, and yes, you know, with a similar milieu, so it just. You know, everything becomes sort of simplified. Yeah. To create a narrative. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just to make things easier. Sure. And, and it's just the way it is. Yeah. That's just you just accept that. But it did kind of did did sort of bug me. But what finally cured me of that was uh, uh, one night I was just lying lying here watching I think Survivor. And it was about eight thirty, and and I thought, oh gee, Linda's right in the middle of Act One and working so hard, and I think I just made about. Fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> My ten percent of the gross. Yeah, that uh, that cured me of uh, anything that ailed me as far yeah. as uh, you know, just mainstream or downtown. Yeah, but I do think I really do have this theory that it's all about the side. Whether something is downtown or fringe mm. or or mainstream, it's the size of of the publicity budget. Yes, mm. you know you can yeah. have the most bizarre Evo van Hova deconstructed. You know, show, and if you have uh, sub, uh, taxi ads and yeah. subway posters yeah. Yeah. And, and a TV commercial, then you're mainstream. Yeah, right. right. You know, otherwise, you're you're downtown. Mm-hmm. Now, I heard you say just a little earlier that you had written Alger's Wife for Linda Lavin. Ish, you know, I had start, started. I, I think just to, to kind of put it in a succinct way, I had written the book to a. Uh, one of my one of my numerous f- failed musicals uh, to play a show called The Green Heart. Oh yes, with Rusty uh, McGee. Yeah, with Rusty, mm-hmm. and, and we had done that through Manhattan Theater Club. Yeah, at the Variety Arts Theater. Did Lynn Meadow direct that? No, but she produced it. Mm-hmm. Ken Elliott, who oh, directed yeah. most of my my yeah. earlier plays, directed that. So anyway, I hit it off with Lynn, and she um, uh, after that play the show opened, she said, "Oh, I'd love to." 
to do your um, next play. I'll produce it, whatever you come up with. Jeez. Mm. Oh, so, um, you know, I knew they were kind of square over there at Manhattan Theater Club yeah. subscribers, so mm. you know, Vampire Lesbians Part 2 may not be <laughs> uh, the ticket. You know? yeah. so, uh, so anyway, now I had this character, Miriam Passman, of this you know, raging Upper West Side lady mm-hmm. um, that I'd done in my uh, solo shows. And I, th- and I thought, oh, that'd be a great... I always wanted to write a, a play with that character. Mm. So, so I thought, oh, this is the perfect, perfect opportunity because she basically is the Manhattan Theater Club subscriber. Yeah. Mm, you know, right. so, so I began r- working on it, figuring it out. And, and then, and I, you know, and I um, certainly knew of Linda Lavin, you know, obviously. But, but I went to see her in this show, uh, Death Defying Acts. There were three Oh, acts. yes. Was it Woody Allen? Wayne May. Yeah. Mm. Was there? Not was Paul Rudnick. No. Anyway, but I saw it. And, and, and then I thought, oh, well, she's just the perfect actress to play this character yeah. and at that point I was still writing it so I just had her completely in mind at that maybe not at the very beginning but midway through and mm-hmm. and uh, you know I wrote it really fairly quickly and then um, showed it to Lynn Meadow and she said well let's do a reading right away and who's your fantasy casting for Marjorie and I saw Linda Lavin and we got her and wow. we did this reading and and it just was I've never seen anything like this before because I, I know for a fact that Linda didn't even glance at that script before <laughs> she, you know, she opened it. There's no rehearsal. And, right, right. Yeah, and, well, it was just flawless. Uh, I mean, she re- I've never seen anything like this. I mean, she gave this performance that really was no different from what she did on Broadway. Mm. Yeah. In some ways, there were, you know, line readings she did at that reading that she would never do again just out of sheer perversity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, so, uh, yeah, and we, you know, Lynn and I were just so ecstatic. So, so after, so you'll, you'll do the play? Will you do it? Mm, yeah, I don't know. She, so she kept us dangling for nine months. Oh, my God. And we did readings with other actresses and just wasn't quite mm-hmm. right. And then finally she, I kind of stalked her, basically, is what mm-hmm. I did, you know, and, just broke her down and she uh, and she did it and it was this incredible mm. success for us and she was nominated for a Tony and right. so, and I was also and you know it ran two years on Broadway and yeah big national tour I mean, it was just mm. incredible I mean, it was a fabulous thing that happened. it's almost the kind of uh, thing they talk about that we don't see anymore these you know commercial Broadway comedies I don't think like, they really have them anymore do they uh, I remember being at some Manhattan Theater Club event and um I was with Michelle, and uh, Barry Grove, who's the managing director, made a speech and, and said something about, was talking about Manhattan Theater Club, and The Tale of the Allergist Wife, which is the longest-running comedy of the past 25 years. So I whispered to Michelle, I said, because it's the only comedy in the past 25 years. <laughs> right, right. She said, own it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they, they just don't really, you know, yeah. do comedies. I mean, I think humor mostly comes from from the books to musicals nowadays. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, there was this play, I just saw uh, Grand Horizons that was with Jane Alexander and... But that's um, not on Broadway. It was. It was? It was at the... the um, it used to be called the Helen Hayes and now it's the second oh, stage. Oh, that's second stage. That yeah. doesn't really count. <laughs> I guess it does count. But I mean, but it, but it closed. I mean, it didn't last, you know, and I liked it, but... It wasn't, it wasn't uh, for a non-profit run? On Broadway, yeah. Mm. But was it a limited run? Limit... I don't know. I'm not sure, but it closed sooner, sooner than, than it was supposed have. to. Okay, yeah. I get you. Um, no, it's, it's really hard. Well, you know, the c- critics, 
are pr- pretty tough on on comedies right. because you know the easy um, crit- criticism is that it's sitcom, right, right. You know, and, and you that that's the the hard thing to get past. And you never felt either inspired artistically or financially to want to make that magic happen again. Oh, are you kidding? I do anything. Oh my god. Um, I there were numerous times that that I've written plays that I thought I were the type that could move, but you know, there's a alchemy that has to be there. Right. You have to have everything has to be set up perfect series of circumstances mm-hmm. for something to move to Broadway which right. it's very expensive yeah you know, yeah. I, I had a play called Olive and the Bitter Herbs that was produced a number of years ago with is that another Jewish story very <laughs> yeah, Jewish very Bitter Jewish. Herbs is the Passover thing yeah, oh, yeah okay. I wrote it and it was done for primary stages and I I thought oh this is you know we're, this, this is my ticket <laughs> the back Jews, this is my the ticket Jews back come running. and it was frustrating too because you know, the um, it got huge laughs, and it was these eld- elderly subscribers at primary stages. I didn't think people lived that long, uh-huh. and, and they were just rocking with laughter, and because it, it was about them, you yeah. know. And yeah. um, uh, but the, the reviews weren't weren't that good. <laughs> they weren't that good, and, I, and that, that one frustrated me because I I thought oh, this is there's an audience that just wants to be, would laugh so hard at this, mm-hmm. and they were, but we can't. Give it to them. Right. So that yeah. was a disappointment. And I had a number of them. Let's play the tribute artist we did a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, I love that one. I, yeah, I, 50, I, 90, 59. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I, I, I had fantasies that, that that could transfer, but but uh, the reviews weren't there and mm. or, or the interest. And that, that was a big, big disappointment. Mm. Now, I've, I've, I've certainly, it would, it would be fabulous to, to have another play. To have a hit on Broadway is the most thrilling, thrilling mm. thing. I wish it for everyone. Yeah, tell oh, us about that. It really was not a a dream of mine. Oddly enough, I, I yeah, I just it was never thought like that. Like my goal is to mm. get a play on Broadway. I really, you know, I had well, you'd had so much success. Off fine careers, yeah, you know, doing right. what I was doing. I, it just I've never really operated that way. Right. Oh, my dream is to have a sitcom, or I, I've just kind of gone from one. Adventure to another, and you know, perhaps I'd have a bigger career if I if I did have larger goals. I, I've just kind of, you know, been like a feather blowing through the in, the in the wind. Well, another reading of it would be that in a world where there's very few functional systems in the theater industry that people can count on, you forged your own path and that's right. Did yeah. original yeah, did. things and forged original connections, and yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. something no one had ever done before. Yeah, no, and I just have had a good good time. You know, yeah. and mm-hmm. had so many dreams come true. Really, yeah, yeah. W- wonderful. But yeah, but I never really th- thought of the the big, the big dream. Yeah, right. I never right. never did. Even when I was so struggling, it's always my dream is to get do my act in San Francisco, and I work really hard until mm. I do, do that. Then my dream is to to you know do my show off Broadway. But I just never thought in terms of my dream is to mm-hmm. win an Oscar. Yeah, mm-hmm. but maybe it should have been. But I but it, it just never. It's not how I've. My mind works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so suddenly there I was at the show on Broadway, and, and the day the uh, marquee went up at the Barrymore Theater, it was you know, pouring rain, and I just stood there like Stella <laughs> Dallas. Right? I, I was on the, I watched it, I was, I was uh, in front, left, right. You know. <laughs> oh, it just is incredible. It's the most amazing feeling, you know, and apart from the, the incredible, getting these, Huge checks each week, 
you know, but but just the oh, it's just th- just thrilling and the way people treat mm-hmm. you and, and just the excitement of it all. And then, yeah. and then being nominated for a Tony Award for best play, and I didn't have a stand a chance to win. I mean, I I was opposite such these these like nobodies. What Tom Stoppard? Yeah, <laughs> who is he? Who is he? Who's that? August no. Wilson. Had, had yeah. you heard of him? Never, and never. Then this, and this this thing that opened, I don't know, proof that won. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Have you heard of it? Yeah. No one so, talks about proof anymore. They still talk about allergies uh, wife. Well, anyway, so I knew I was didn't have a chance, chance of winning, but it, so I could just really have a good time. Right. Go going there. Yeah. Although you know that final five seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Think, <laughs> the envelope. Maybe they all cancel each other out. And I'm Marissa Tomei, and I'm there. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I really, honestly, honestly, can never believe. When when people win the Oscar and they or or Tony and they say that oh I have no speech prepared right I mean what have you been doing for the right, past right. Yeah. four weeks yeah what are you doing for the bathroom mirror for the past yeah. four weeks that would you even ever consider just getting your thoughts together yeah yeah I mean I knew I wasn't going to win but I certainly you know. Stood in front of the bathroom mirror, <laughs> right, right, right. And I went to thank Lynn Meadow and you know and all, the, and all the people who've been so kind to me. And, yeah, yeah. No. Oh, I love but, that. But it was, um, it was you know a fabulous experience. Mm. Yeah, wish mm. it could happen again. Probably won't. And did you have like you know I don't know what are the cliches I dream about like did Carol Channing want to take you to lunch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, uh, not not like that, but but I got an incredible uh, letter. From Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, wow. who I'd never met or anything, mm-hmm. just this lovely, mm-hmm. funny note from from Paul Newman about just how much what, how they laughed so hard and that the two of them never really laugh. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're just I believe laugh. it. They're not really laughers, and, and, and he said, well, "You made us. We we laughed like we were two old whores." <laughs> you know, yeah, so like, you know and, and Sondheim was very mm. so kind. Wow. Oh, uh, well. And, I, and he had been encouraging me, encouraging to me a number of times, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I was before before that. Yeah. Um, but he saw the play at Manhattan Theater Club before we transferred, and yeah. and just loved it. And then when we were the week we were opening, it coincided with um, maybe it was uh, I don't know some big birthday of his or something. Mm-hmm. And Frank Rich did a cover story for the New York Mag New York. Times Magazine. Oh yeah, it was interview. his seventieth. Yeah, Sonda seventy, I guess it was. Uh, and in the piece, he says the funniest play I've ever seen was *The Tale of the Allergist's Wife*, and that was a great oh, thing for to, to go to go into yes. previews yeah. with that. And then after the play, I, I, yeah, he was so, so kind to me and um, always sent me a telegram, a welcome to the big time, and, mm. oh, just things that make you want to cry. Yeah. And then he, then further than that, um, he invited. Eric and I to um, a party at his townhouse where I'd never been and um, Turtle Bay yeah and it was this incredible party and you know Dame Edna was there and and every famous playwright and it was just an extraordinary Mm. collection of of people and um, uh, and then he asked us to stay later and we just had a wonderful time just chatting alone with him in, his, in the dungeon. In the dungeon, I was tied up, and, and then, uh, we chatted marvelously. Uh, uh, but, but anyway, I wrote him a thank you note uh, saying, you, you know, really, sometimes you know, I kind of feel like the red leaf on the family tree, you know, in the theater, mm-hmm. and you really yeah. made me feel part of, uh, oh. like I was part of Broadway, and 
And uh, he wrote me back a little note said that was the point of the evening. Oh, Wasn't that something? Yeah. No, so, so stuff, yeah, stuff like that did happen. And, yeah, it was thrill- so wonderful. Well, I wouldn't want to be a part of a Broadway that you weren't uh, a major, a major branch. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, it's it's a it's I've had such an odd career, you know, I because I belong to different, all these different groups, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm a playwright, an actor, and um, dra- drag pioneer, a mm-hmm. cabaret entertainer, and, mm-hmm. and you know, it is easy to feel like you're uh, kind of a stranger in a strange land in all of them. But, sure. And so, you know, I'm easily touched when when any one of those branches in, includes me. Do you yeah. feel, um, speaking of, because drag has become such a big commercialized um, entertainment thing nowadays right. with RuPaul's Drag Race and all that, do you feel any kinship with those queens? Or, I mean, I'm sure you and RuPaul must have crossed paths in the 80s. And yeah, barely, much. barely. Really, you know, I've only... Really, just sort of run into RuPaul a handful of times for for one minute at a time. I, yeah. I don't know him. Mm-hmm. Or, or what about just with the whole sort of um, movement that is out there now? Well, yes, of course. You know, I think that uh, you know, I, I although it's so di- most most contemporary drag performers are so different from anything that I, yeah, I right. do. But yeah, but you know, we're kind of the same bloodline. Yeah, and um, and there are some of them. They've been very, very kind, and you know, and well, I, I, a lot of these, number of them, you know, it turns out, first thing they, time they're ever in drag, were in a, a local play of mine. I yeah, Bianca mm. Del Rio. I said, to the, oh, I didn't know, know that. I think she wrote that, you know, like her first time she was in drag was in a Psycho Beach party. Amazing, oh. and that her and she actually her first drag name was Marvel Ann that she took from wow from, from that play, yeah. and and. Um, I think um, Sasha Velour said that mm. was a big influence. Not, not I would really. imagine some yeah. of them. Jinx yeah. Monsoon. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Have you seen any of the shows, actually? Like, do you know, Are you familiar with Peaches Christ, Josh Grinnell? Yes, yes. Because he does these great shows. They've been. I guess they're not going to be this summer, but the last few years they've yeah. been these summer runs in Provincetown. Mm. Yeah, I've never yeah. seen any of them. And they're yeah, these I'm great parodies. parodies. And I mean, I'm sure he would acknowledge, yeah, more yeah. than acknowledge, that they're, they're huge, uh, you know, What's the word? In, in, you in, know, in, I'm an influence. Yes. Yeah, well, certainly, yeah. certainly, yes. And I think I would say it's safe to say that, that uh, drag performers who have a theatrical bent and, yeah. and do plays, that I'm mm. kind of the, yeah. the, the grandmother. Well, that, yeah. that's, that's the drag that I am drawn to, so, yeah, I, 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 I'd say so totally. I like to see you yeah. reigning over it. And, 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 and it's one thing that's been very, very, very um, gratifying the last couple of years since I've been doing this cabaret thing and it's for the first time I've actually toured you know we we never toured any of my plays we did sit down productions of vampire lesbians in LA and Key West and Tokyo even mm. but I've never actually toured yeah so mm. uh, with my cabaret show I've been in about 40 cities and wow. four countries and, and I do, do meet people afterwards who um, younger performers who tell me that oh they were in you know production of one of my plays and came out to their parents because they oh, were playing part. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Really, yeah. wonderful. I mean, I wonder if like a little Charles Bush growing up now in the world where you already existed, knowing about your work and knowing about um, Tale of the Allergist Wife on Broadway might have dreamed 
of being a Broadway playwright. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that didn't occur to you because you hadn't changed the world to make that happen yet. You right. Know? Right. Uh, I wouldn't hope so. I would yeah. think. Yeah, it was interesting. We did these with Lily Dare. Uh, we did three student matinees. and Oh, I thought you were joking when you said no. that. That was too funny. And, well, the first one was just hideous. <laughs> I mean, these kids were so bored. I felt bad for them. I, mm. they, you, I could see them in the audience just sitting there with their heads on each other's shoulders and yeah. it was like they were watching TCM at their grandmother's house <laughs> I could wait I, I felt like they were going to turn the channel and I was going to be like you know, I was going to disappear you know uh, I really, they want to turn the channel they can't you know uh, but then we did this the second one was, was a little livelier and then the third one I don't know who these kids were but I think there may have been some LGBT <laughs> kids. But they, were, they were wild. They were screaming and carrying yeah. on, and, and it was very, very lively. And that did make me feel good. And I did think, well, maybe, Fabulous. you know, uh, one of these uh, 16-year-old kids or whatever someday might reflect on, yes, and I saw yeah. the legendary <laughs> Charles Bush, you know, when I, in my youth. Yes, yeah. he was very old at the time. Oh. But I, I remember, yes, yes, oh. he was marvelous in his own oh. way. Yeah. No, I, yeah, no, that, that was that was cool. That's awesome. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, putting you back in that uh, fan fandom uh, yeah, totally. mind frame, yourself. and all my, you know, and really, and you know, we we the last week that we um, did the lead dare, we recorded it for um, Lincoln Center, right? Library, oh, wonderful. And they yeah. they've been re- you know they they have this wonderful um, it was a, a stage to film right archive at Lincoln, yeah. at Lincoln yeah. Center mm-hmm. Library of Performing Arts, and um, you know they. Uh, record a lot of shows yeah, that yeah. you can go and, and, and watch you know yeah. and, and they've been credit Patrick Hoffman who runs that that department has been extremely loyal to me and and they've pretty much uh, taped every show that, mm-hmm. that I've done since they started doing that but then I, I we used to tape our own shows in, in the early days and, oh, and wow. you know they're not the greatest quality sure, it's, right. you know, home video but but I Donated um, all oh, those. That's good to know. So they, so they really do have a. Um, I'm very well re- represented. Oh, the, I want to go back and look at some of those before my time. Those yeah, things, yeah. And you know, it's, it sounds a little you know, rickety, but you get the gist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but this Lily Dare, I have you know they um, did a two camera, and I just saw a little glimpse of it when I was leaving the theater, and it's gonna look really good. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. I wish they would do something. You know. Right now, everyone's quarantined and social isolation and all that. I wish they would it release some of these on streaming, yeah. you know, so we can yeah. watch. I just can't do home. it. It's all. I know when, it's when like you, all these. Well, when you tape. do, when you when they tape things for Lincoln Center, you know, you fill out these forms. That yes. it's, it's it's to protect, you know, yeah, right, right. people <clears throat> against um, somebody making a profit. So you, yeah, they, yeah. they swear they're it's only available to various. People. Yeah, you have to say your excuse for when you something you go right, 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 student yeah. student. Right. Um, yeah, it's pretty loose. I mean, yes. I think you just have to say, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm directing production of yeah. Lily Dare. Yeah. Right. In the I totally, I totally um, got there and just <laughs> bullshitted my way in. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's putting you in the mind of, of a fan yourself. Right. Um, we play a game with all our guests. Okay. Which um, is a she, listeners can't see that Charles grimaced when I said that. I'm um, so bad. I'm so bad. At <laughs> I t- to go back to to Sondheim a little bit. <laughs> I, I'll just tell you that you know when when, we, when Eric and I first first met him and and, and he said something like, um, "Oh, you must." You said to me, "You 
you must know every every movie ever made. And so he starts, you know, he's like ga- a games oh, person. Right, yeah. he loves so he games. starts throwing out, like, you know, says, name, name me four movies starring Ida Lupino directed by Mitchell Eisen. And, ah! and, 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 I, 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 just, I mean, I, at that point, if he had said who played Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, yeah, I would yeah, no. you know, So my my partner, Eric, uh, you know, who really could, should be on Jeopardy, yeah. uh, just would, came out with the answers. And, and every time Sondheim would throw another one out, Eric would, would, would save it. He would say, that's not fair. Ah. I just, so I'm, I'm terrible. It's, anyway, well, it's not it. that kind of game. Right. It's just it's no more pressure. whimsical. Okay. Um, it, you know the game Marry, Fuck, Kill? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of a variation on that. It's okay. called Dolly Concert Kill. And so we'll give you three performers, and you choose which of the three you would like to see as Dolly Levi in a Broadway revival of Hello, Dolly, which one you would like to see in a a peak career concert at their best, and which one, unfortunately, gets the axe. Mm, Um, So I think we have to do Linda Lavin. Linda Lavin, Bette Midler. And, um... Uh, I mean, Barbara? Barbara. Barbara, Bette, and Linda. Yeah. So, so, so you choose what you assign one Dolly <laughs> I'm Levi, so ready. I'm one, <laughs> one concert, and one gets the chair. <laughs> the chair. Oh, I can't do you can't The do easy that. chair. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Wait, so, so who, who, which so it's Linda. Is, which one I want to see play Dolly? Yeah. Well, we've seen Beth do Dolly. You right. have seen, yeah. We have seen, seen Barbara, kind of. I've yeah. seen Barbara do Dolly. Well, you could have her do it, you know, you can direct. <laughs> <laughs> it can and, be done and, your and way. And Linda would, Linda would have been an interesting dolly. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah this, like, I will yeah. say, of all the rounds of this game we've ever played, this is probably the most solid dolly casting pool. I know. It would be very good as dolly. So maybe it's who you most want to kill and who you least want to see in concert. I don't want to kill any of them. Well, that's just the default, you know. Right, right. Oh, this is a terrible... This, <laughs> that guy there that, honey. This is terrible. I, we, we, we soft soap different plus people. I, yeah, plus can, I'm involved with, the, you know... It can be Dolly Concert Chill. So one of, of them will get, one of them will get an all-expenses paid vacation while yeah. the other two have to work right. in concert or as Dolly. Well, I mean, Bet was, was a thrilling Dolly. I, that was so exciting. Totally. So you could say you've already seen her do it, or you yeah. could be just dying to see her do it more. And Yeah, I guess Bet does Dolly. Bet yeah. is Dolly. Yeah. Totally. So then concert, Linda or Barbara. Well, I'd say Bar- Barbara. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and Linda, I'll write a new play for. All right. Go, she can read go. it on the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have a successful round. <laughs> oh, brother. Thank you, Charles. You're wonderful. I'm sorry that was painful for you. We're grateful. Oh, horrible. For you. <laughs> out, out. With your germs. <laughs> Thank you, Charles. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank we you. love you. Thanks for listening to Ben Rimmelauer's Broken Records on Broadway World. For more episodes, visit Broadway World, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever podcasts do be. <laughs> this episode was edited by me, Daniel Nolan. Thanks to Emmy-winning composer and lyricist Lance Horn for the Broken Records theme song. Follow us both, Ben Rimmelauer and Daniel Nolan, on all you alls socials. That's Ben Rimmelauer. B-E-N-R-I-M-A-L-O-W-E-R. And that's Nolan with an E, not Nolan with an A. Because no one with an A is an ass. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 